Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Howell, and uh, welcome to another Sunday morning service here. Um, just privileged today to share a message with you guys. Um, before we get into that, let's open up in prayer. Father God, uh, just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, uh, to share uh, your word with your people, God. I thank you, Lord, that I deliver an accuracy and boldness, Lord. I pray, Father God, that um, it will touch the hearts of those listening and watching, God. I pray, Lord, that they would not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, today I'm going to talk about a topic that you don't necessarily hear a lot about in the church. Uh, the topic is sleep sleep and rest. And hopefully it won't put you to sleep, but I think it's very important um, of what God has to say about sleep and rest in the Bible. So um, before we get started with that, I like to start with de definitions to make sure that we're all on the same page when we talk about sleep and rest. Um, and we'll just start with some dictionary definitions of what sleep is. Um, most of you know what it is, but it's, uh, it'll help frame the message for what we want to talk about today. So sleep is a condition of the body and mind that typically recurs for several hours every night in which the nervous system is relatively inactive, the eyes are closed and the muscles are relaxed and consciousness is practically suspended. It usually is considered essential to the restoration and recovery of vital bodily and mental functions, okay? And rest is a seat to cease from work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself and recover strength. So it's interesting, we look at sleep and rest, they have something in common. Is the purpose is for recovery, refreshment, restoration. So I want you guys to keep that in mind. Now if we think biblically, biblically a couple definitions of how uh, the Bible defines sleep and rest, sleep in general is defined the same way as the dictionary definition. Um, there is another definition of sleep that deals with eschatology, but we're not going to get into that message <laughs> today. Um, but rest has a couple different definitions that I want to highlight um, as far as the biblical definitions of those words. One definition is very similar to the dictionary definition to cease from work. And we see this in Genesis 1 in the very beginning when God creates the earth in six days and then he rests on the seventh day. He ceases from work. It's what we know as the Sabbath. He set that pattern for us. And another definition of rest that we see in the Bible doesn't have to do necessarily with ceasing work, but it has to do with settling down or finding a resting place. In um, Exodus 33, God tells Moses that my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And so he's talking to Moses, who was leading the people out of Egypt, right? And they were going around in the wilderness, round and round, living in tents, living a very nomadic life. And God was telling Moses that I, my presence is going to go with you. And you're going to lead these people into the promised land. And I'm going to give you a place to settle down, rest, and remain. So we see that rest is also a place, a resting place, a place that you can remain and be established and put down roots, okay? And we're going to get to that uh, again later as we... Um, build this message up. So we see that sleep and rest are biblical and they're important to God. God himself, God the Father, rest, which we established in Genesis 1, and we see Jesus, um, who was both fully God and fully man, also slept and rest. There might have been, I think, one time in the Bible, which was the day before his crucifixion, where he was up all night praying, but most of the time he was getting up early, but he was getting sufficient sleep as well. So we see that sleep has value and importance um, as God has established, right? And I think most of us, 
would, would agree with that, right? But the truth is that if we look around in our society, in our culture, there's actually a crisis of sleep and there's a crisis of rest. And a lot of us aren't getting that sufficient sleep and rest that we need and that God um, values and calls us to. So the recommendation, CDC recommendation for um, adults 18 to 65 is to get seven to nine hours of sleep each night. Okay, so a minimum of seven hours. If uh, teenagers need a little bit more and if you're over the age of 65, you need a little bit less, but the majority of the population is in that age range and so most of us need at least seven hours of sleep each night. But we're not getting that, right? On average, 30% of adults get less than that. Th excuse me, 35% of adults get less than that, less than that minimum of seven hours of sleep that is required. 35%, um, 30% of adults have insomnia, have trouble going to sleep. And insomnia is linked to depression. And in fact, 75% of people who have depression also suffer from insomnia. Hmm. So that's, that's interesting. We see that this crisis of sleep, this crisis of rest, and how it causes these different conditions, depression, insomnia, how those things are linked to it. And there's also a crisis of rest. Okay, and so rest we know, as that dictionary definition said, is to cease from work. And so I wanna tie this to um, uh, the idea of work as far as like our jobs and employment and businesses, but we know that work isn't just limited to that because there are people who are stay-at-home parents who very much work, and those of us who are doing double duty of having a job, working, and then having stuff to take care of at home with your kids, that's work as well. And so when do we find rest, and do we value rest? Well, so let's take a look at um, some statistics or just some facts here. So back in um, the early 20th century, the idea of this eight-hour workday, 40-day work week was established because um, most people were working in factories and they were working like six days a week, 12, 14-hour days. And so unions uh, came, you know, came into fruition and they established this idea of 888, where you would have eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, and eight hours of sleep. So our 24-hour days were divided into these thirds. And that's kind of what we have continued to go along with um, even now in modern times. And it's interesting that um, around that time there were some studies done um, about technology and they, f they believe that technology would advance so much that in our modern times that we would only need a two to three day work week because everything else would be automated and we wouldn't know what to do with all of our time. But how many of us know that technology did not have us work less? Technology has us work more because there's access to us at all times. You're checking your email at nine o'clock at night, you're on call for work, your work, especially during this pandemic, a lot of times is at home, you could always open up that computer. So we never really get away from work. So technology hasn't given us more leisure, it's actually have us more addicted to work. On average, the average salary worker works 49 hours a week on average in America, right? 49 hours, that's a whole extra shift, that's a whole extra day of work. And 25% um, of workers work 60 plus hours a week. That's 25, that's a whole quarter of people that are working 60 plus hours a week. And there's an interesting quote I saw about American culture. And, and you know, America isn't the only culture that has it. Some cultures do it better than us, some are, are more restful, and some actually work even more. Um, but this was a quote about American work culture, and it said, we work longer hours, take shorter vacations, and retire later than comparable societies. Isn't that interesting that we're working longer, we're taking less vacation, and we're tiring later? And so if we value rest 
And if we take God's word, knowing that sleep and rest are important, do these stats show that we really value it? Hmm. That's interesting. So I want to, um, just for the sake of um, framing this message, I want to put um, this lack of sleep and this lack of rest into two categories for us to better understand where I'm coming from. And so one category I'm going to call warriors, worry and warriors, right? And the other category is workers, okay? And some of us, you know, we straddle both categories and, uh, and it's, you know, so it's not black and white. Um, so and it really, the, the underlining uh, theme, and I'm going to give you kind of like the whole theme of the message now at the beginning before the end, um, for both whether you struggle with worry or you struggle with overworking is the need for trust in God. That's the underlying theme of that. That's the under underlying theme that we need. So worriers um, many times have trouble going to sleep be, um, or, or trouble getting sufficient sleep. And that has, that's due to a lot of stress, concerns, anxieties. And a key part is also discontent. You know, there's a lot of times there's this discontent with things in your life, maybe how your life is going, different elements of your life, whether your relationships, whether your work, whether, um, you know, whatever it is, right? There's this discontent, and that it causes um, struggle with sleeping and, and getting that restful sleep through the night. And another, and for workers, we're, when we think of workers, these are people who are, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we idolize in society. These are your high achievers, overachievers, people who work hard, hustlers, they got side hustles, you know, entrepreneurs. But also within the church culture, it's also people who serve. See, because it's not something we want to talk about in the church a lot. But we know the 80-20 rule applies within the church culture, where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. And that's why pastors burn out. That's why people, lay people who serve burn out. It's because there's this constant work, 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 without valuing the rest we need to recover and restore. Okay, so we're going to get into that. We're going to look deep into um, the, this idea of work and rest. And, um, and, the, and really what the, the theme and the, and, the, and the message, the title of this message would be is the faith to rest. And we'll see how sleep and rest, though seem, they seem like very inactive things, right? They actually require faith. Okay, so it takes faith to sleep and faith to rest. So we're going to look at some characters in the Bible, some familiar stories in the Bible, and kind of take a look at these, this theme of sleep and rest. So we're going to start um, at the beginning in Genesis, um, and we're going to start with Adam. Um, so if you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2, and we're going to pick it up at verse 21. And this is the first time that we see sleep in the Bible, okay? And so um, I'll just read it along. Uh, you guys can read along with me. It says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to, to the man. And the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has taken out of man. Okay, so this is the first time we see sleep. God put Adam sleep in order so he could make woman, right? But it's interesting, before this, early in the chapter, what happened, okay? So early in the chapter, we see that Adam is actually has been working two jobs. So the first thing that God had Adam do was he made him to take care of the garden. He said, you're going to tend the garden. You're going to be, you know, the, the, this is your responsibility. This is your job. So he was telling all about the cool fruits and trees and everything there. And Adam was to maintain the garden. So that was his first job. And then right before he put him to sleep, the next job that he was doing, he was involved in this creative process with God by naming the animals. So God would bring all the animals from the air, the sea, 
the land, and Adam was naming them, and he was, just, he was involved in this creative process. So Adam was working, and now it was time for Adam to rest. So we see that pattern that God established in Genesis 1, where he would work, create the earth, and then rest, and, it, and he was establishing that same thing in Genesis 2 for, for Adam. But it's also interesting that, you know, Adam was, was working and creating with God, but there was also times, there was also things that Adam uh, couldn't do in the sense that Adam had to get out the way for God to do a work. For God to make woman and to create that miracle and that work, Adam had to cease from his work and sleep and rest. And sometimes for us to, to allow God to work how he can and, and, and wants to in our life, we have to rest. We have to take a step back. And I want to examine that theme a little bit deeper also in the New Testament if we go to the book of Mark. And we want to go to Mark chapter 4. And this is uh, a parable of Jesus in Mark 4, verse 26. And Jesus um, is telling this parable. He says, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up daily, and the seed sprouts and grows. How he, himself, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the, the, stalk, the stalk, the head, and then a the mature grain in the head. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts, sickle, um, puts the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay, so this is talking about seed time and harvest that God has set up um, in, in just as, as a, a process he set up in the earth. And we see this applying to, to giving and tithing and everything. But it's interesting here um, that the guy, he just sows the seed, right, and puts it in the ground, right? And what does he do? He just goes to bed at night. He doesn't worry about it. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what God told him to do, right? He didn't go out there in the middle of the night looking to see if the seed is starting to grow. He didn't go up there trying to dig out the seed, see if it's starting to germinate and doing all these things. No, God established what he was supposed to do and God established what we are supposed to do. He sent forth his word and God watches over his word to perform it. We don't have to watch over it. We don't have to do all these extra things and think that we have to continue to work. A lot of times we just have to get out the way. We do what God told us to do, right? And we just let him do, give the increase. Paul talked about this when it comes to sharing the gospel. He said some uh, plant, some water, and God gives the increase. God is the one that's going to give increase. God is the one that's going to make these things happen in our lives. We just have to do what he told us to do. Just believe, pray, confess, but let him do the work. And so it takes that faith to rest and sleep because we have to know that God, it's about God's works and not our works. It's about our faith and obeying God and doing what he's called us to do, but let him do what only he can do. Amen. Hope this is good. Hope you guys are following this. Let's go to another uh, familiar story, um, also in the New Testament. If you could go with me to the book of Luke. And we're going to look at Luke 10, verse 38. And 38, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. And so this is uh, the story of uh, Mary and Martha. This is very familiar. You've probably heard this um, preached many times if you've been in church for a while. And just to give you the background, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going around sharing the gospel. And, and every now and then as they go town to, from town, they go to someone's house um, to, you know, to go, get something to eat. And also Jesus continued to teach. All right. So verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a, a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Hmm. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
Keep that in mind. We'll get back to that. And she had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up, up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about by many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Hmm. Okay, so this is interesting. And I'll just tell you straight up from the beginning. There's been a lot of Martha slander in the church, right? We've always talked bad about Martha, and it's easy for us to see it from this, our perspective because we see the words in red. We know Jesus rebuked her, so we can just say, yeah, what's wrong with Martha? What are you doing? Stop serving. You need to get there at Jesus' feet like Mary. But listen, if we're honest, and I'll be honest with myself, in this situation, I relate more than Mar to Martha than Mary in this situation, okay? Let me show you why. Martha, it says that Martha welcomed him into her home. This was Martha's house. Martha was the host. Let's, think, let's, let's, let's look at it from the perspective of Jewish culture, right? If you come to someone's home, that person is the host and they serve you. And particularly in that culture, the, the woman was the one who was preparing the food, taking care of the guests and everything. She wasn't supposed to be sitting there listening to the, to the rabbis teach. She's supposed to be serving, right? And if we think, forget Jewish culture, we think about our culture. I know if someone comes to my house, if PD showed up my house with his family, I'm like, sit down, I'm gonna get you something to drink, you want some water, you want some juice, the kids want apple juice, I can throw some steaks on the grill. If I don't have something in my house, I'll run around a quarter and get it, right? Because that's just what we do. You're supposed to be hospitable, you're supposed to be a host. That's what the cultural norm is. And so if we look at Martha here, actually Martha was doing what culturally she was supposed to do. So Martha wasn't, was doing what she was taught to do, what the culture had told her to do, right? But Jesus had this uncanny ability throughout his ministry to flip the script, right, on cultural norms, on religious traditions, on, the, on what everybody was usually saying and doing. And that's what he was doing here, right? He told, um, he told Martha that, look, Martha, I understand that. You, he said, Martha, you're distracted, right? He said, Martha, you are worried. So Martha was both a worrier and a worker, right? She was worried and stressed out about stuff. And she was also overworking, just like trying to serve and, and, and trying to hustle and do everything. And Jesus was telling her this, Mary has chosen the right thing. What did Mary do? Mary ceased from work, right? So we don't know if Jesus showed up unplanned. You know, maybe they got a heads up that she was coming. So Mary, maybe Mary was helping Martha at first. But when Jesus showed up, Martha ceased work. Mary ceased work, right? And she was sitting at his feet. So Mary ceased work. She rested. And she not only did that, she settled down at his feet. She found a resting place at the feet of Jesus. Remember that other definition of rest I said? It means to settle down and, and remain. That's what Mary did. She settled down at Jesus' feet. She remained there. She found what Jesus said was the one necessary thing. And so when we, take about, we think about this in our perspective, in our life, right, there are many cultural norms, right, that, are, that tell us certain things that, hey, you know, you need to work 50, 60 hours a week, right? And even in the church, a cultural norm is, hey, let's serve, right, which is good. I'm not saying that serving isn't, you know, a, 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 is a bad thing. That's a good thing. But there has to be some balance, right? And not only that, the, and all the importance of the serving and, and, and the hustling and trying to work and all these other things, only one thing is necessary, right? All these other things are good, but only one thing is necessary. 
That's what Jesus was talking about and what Mary found, right? And so all, and all of our work um, and our worry, you know, what does it bring us, okay? Yeah, you know, you can get this money, this job title, um, this home, whatever it is, right? But all of that can be taken away. But one thing will never be taken away, and that's what Jesus said, resting out of fear. So we have to have the faith to rest and know that all these other things, yeah, they're good in their time, but the important thing we need to do is rest in God. All right, so let's, um, let's go back to the Old Testament and let's take a look at uh, another familiar figure, right? David, right? King David. We're all familiar with King David, right? And uh, just to set it up, you know, David, David's life was defined by a couple things. You know, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. You know, we can see that throughout reading about his life. We know that David was a worshiper, right? Always worship God. But David's life was also defined by constant danger, right? David was always running for his life. He was always in danger. Even when he was a young uh, a kid, you know, watching over his dad's sheep in the, in the woods, David encountered lions and bears, right? Just always encountering this, this danger, okay? And then um, as David was also a soldier and, and a leader in Israel's army, right? He was always encountering enemy nations and, and the danger of battle. And then later in his life, right, King Saul, his father-in-law, was out to kill him. You know, David, and when the king wants you dead, you're in trouble because the king has resources, the king has army, the king can get you if he, if he wants to get you, right? So David was just, you know, running for his life for Saul, and then even later in his, in his life, right, when Saul's dead, his own son Absalom was coming after him to kill him, and David was running away, living in caves. So David just had this, this, um, this constant uh, uh, danger about him and running for his life, right? And so we see in Psalm 6, uh, 6 through 7, this is David talking. He says, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I flood my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with my grief. It has grown old because of my enemies. Wow, that's, like, that's very descriptive. Basically, David was saying, I'm crying myself to sleep, just the stress and, 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 and the distress of just running for your life and constantly being on the run. And really for David, we see that sleep was a liability. Like, if David went to sleep, he might not be waking up that next morning. Someone might slit his throat because people were constantly after him to kill him, right? But here's the interesting thing. David slept well. Look at Psalm 4.8. David says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For, for you alone, Lord, have me dwell in safety. Mm. How is that? How can he lie down in peace? when people are constantly after him, right? He's constantly running for his, his life. Hmm. We also see in Psalm 23, you know, familiar scripture, he says that um, God leads him to lie down in green pastures, to rest and, and, and to, and to uh, lead beside the quiet, still waters. Hmm. How does he have this peace to rest? How does he have this confidence to go to sleep when his, when his life is constantly under, uh, under attack? Well, let's see. Psalm 127, this isn't actually a Psalm of David, but it does uh, talk about why David had this type of peace. Psalm 127, verses one and two, it says, unless the Lord builds a, builds a house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is futile for you to rise up early, to stay up late, and eat the bread of painful labor. This is how he gives his beloved sleep. Hmm. So David knew, see, David knew that, you know, it doesn't matter um, who he might have had with him to protect him. And David had, David wasn't by himself. He had a crew of some, you know, some real guys who, who didn't play. They, they would kill you. You know, they had David's back. They would risk their lives for David, right? But David didn't put his trust in his mighty men, right? He put his trust in God. And he knew that, yeah, it might seem like sleep is a liability for him, but he knows that if he goes to sleep, God is watching over him. And that because he was called and because he was anointed, God, was, he, he had that trust in God that he can go to, he could rest and he could sleep even though his life was under constant danger. Um, Adrian Reynolds, who um, wrote a book on sleep that which I, which I read preparing for his message, said the willingness to lie down and sleep is in itself an expression of trust and faith in a sovereign God. Just think about it, just our willingness to lay down and sleep, you know, because we don't know, you know, are we going to wake up? It's a trust in God, and especially for someone like David, right, because of the danger he was in. Now, most of us, you know, God willing, are never going to face those dangers. You know, our life, people aren't going to be hunting us, right, um, like David. But if David, with the, the, the stress that he faced, could go to sleep in peace and trust in God, how much more should we, how much more does God want that for us? We're all, we're, you're a child of God, right? You deserve, right? You have the right to be able to sleep in peace because that's what God wants for you. So whatever the situation is, we can learn to trust God like David did and to be able to, no matter if it's, if it's our bills keeping us up, if it's, if it's some sickness or, 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 or relational stress, that we can sleep in peace and give that situation over to God. And I want to read an, another psalm that kind of helps uh, just hammer this home, like our, the trust that we should have in God um, to rest, no matter whether it's for protection, whether it's for peace, whatever it may be. It's Psalm 121 that I'm going to read the whole, uh, the whole chapter. And it says, I will raise my eyes to the mountains, for where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. See, God doesn't sleep. You can sleep because God is, doesn't slumber or sleep. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not beat you down by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going in and your coming out from this time forevermore. Amen. That's good. That's good. So one more story, one more, uh, just a couple more, one more story that we want to look at here. Um, and we're going to go back to the New Testament. We're going to go back to Mark, Mark chapter 4. And this is very familiar whether you grew up in church or not. Um, and this section I'm going to talk, I'm going to compare two stories here. I'm going to compare um, Jesus and Jonah, okay? The stories of, uh, a, a particular story of Jesus and also the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. So let's uh, start in um, the one in Mark chapter 35. And it says, on that day when the evening came, he, talking about Jesus, said, let's go to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. Okay, the boat's filling with water. It's about to sink. Yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up. They had to wake him up. He's sleeping through the storm. And they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Hmm. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
And they became very afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Hmm. Okay, familiar uh, scripture there, powerful. Um, Jesus rebuking the, uh, the wind and the wave, sleep during a storm. Now let's go to Jonah. Let's go to Jonah chapter 1. And there's some striking familiarities with these two stories. And so Jonah is a prophet, and God calls him, um, tells him, Jonah, go to Nevena. I want you to go tell the people that they're in sin, crowd against them, call them to repent. Jonah says, nope, not doing that, going the opposite way. So we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 3, chapter 1 of Jonah. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's never good to flee the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, boarded it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. However, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so much that the ship was about to break. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Ship's about to break, ship's about to sink. Okay. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo um, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship same place Jesus was, and had fallen sound asleep. Interesting. Okay. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Okay. It's the same thing in a similar way to disciples, right? They woke up, Jesus said, don't you care that we are perishing? Okay. A lot of, a lot of parallels here. And each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots that we may find out whose account this catastrophe has struck us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And they said, tell us on whose account did this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Who are your people? Who's your God? And he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men became extremely afraid for they said to him, how could you do this to us? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said, so he said to them, what, no, they said, what shall we do so that the sea will be calm for us? For the sea was becoming, the storm was getting worse. And he said, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will be calm, because I, you'll know, because I know that the account of uh, this great storm has come upon, the account of me, the great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land. They could not, because the storm was becoming even stormier against them. So they cried out to the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on the account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for you, Lord, have done as you please. So they picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. And the men became extremely afraid of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Interesting. Same thing when Jesus come to see the, that, that, that astonishment and that fear. And so we see a lot of uh, connections between these two stories, right? You, you know, Jesus sleeping in the stern, Jonah sleeping in the stern, and, you know, the captain coming to Jonah, just like the disciples came to Jonah. A, a, a lot of similarities here. But I think what I want to point out here is not the similarities between Jesus and Jonah, but the other people on the boat. Okay, so in Jesus's case, right, these were a lot of his disciples were fishermen. This wasn't Jesus's boat. This was some of his disciples boat. They were men who were used to being on the sea. They were used to fishing. So they've encountered storms before, obviously not one this bad, but, you know, they were experienced. Right. And in Jonah's case, these were sailors. These were people who were men of the sea. They, they, they're used to being out there. So it's interesting that the people who were experienced turn to their own knowledge. They turn to their own experience of how to deal with this storm, right? And 
and they were busy going about, right? Throwing cargo off the ship and, and your know, probably disciples were probably lifting the sails and try to figure this out. A lot of activity, a lot of working, a lot of restlessness, you would say, right? And it's interesting that only the people who were able to sleep, only the people who were rested were able to calm the storm. Hmm. See, if you can sleep through a storm, then you can calm it. We see that with Jesus and Jonah, right? And so why? Why, why were they able to comment? Why? Well, well there's, there's, a, there's a couple things. There's a couple similarities. One was when, the, when they were rested, and when you're rested, you're able to discern. See, if you're busy, active, and just going off of instinct and working and, 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 and restless, you can't hear from God and you can't discern. See, Jesus was able to use discernment, right? Because when he woke up, and Jesus was quick because he was Jesus, he, he knew right away to rebuke the storm. Why? Well, he knew the storm wasn't from God the Father because God, if he rebuked the storm, he would be that God sent, he would be rebuking God, rebuking his own father. So God, Jesus doesn't do that. But he had the authority over the storm. He discerned that the storm wasn't from God. So he was able to say, okay, I have authority over this. So I can command the wind, I can command the waves to cease, right? And Jonah, though he didn't pick it up as quick, right? But he was able to discern that, okay, I know I'm in sin, God sent the storm, you guys can just throw me overboard, right? So he, understand, he understood that. But when we can't sleep and we're not restful, we can't discern what God is saying during the storm. See, the thing, what the disciples tried to do, what the sailors tried to do, is they tried to work their way out of the storm. You can't work your way out of the storm. You can only rest and trust your way out of the storm in hearing what God is saying. And another aspect of this, looking at the story of Jonah is, you know, many times, you know, if we're in a storm, right? And we may hear a message or, 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 or um, you know, a, a mentor or, or a man or woman of God might, you know, give us some advice or something. And, and if it's something we don't want to do, right, what do we? We just turn to our works again. We try to figure out our own way. Like, ah, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll do this, right? And the storm just keeps going, right? That's what happened in, in Jonah, right? Jonah told them, throw me over the boat. What did they do? They just said, we're just going to row some more, right? And it just, got, it just got worse, right? No, you have to follow what God is saying. You have to discern. And once they threw him over, right, it all ceased. So we can rest in faith even in a storm because we know that God can show us how to calm it when we're rested, when we're still enough to hear his voice, hear what he's saying. Amen? So I just want to wrap this up with a couple practical tips for you guys, right? Just some tips on sleep and rest. Um, that you, that you can apply for your life. So the first one is, if you, if it's particularly if you're having trouble sleeping, right? Particularly in, in, in that area, ask God for it. Ask God to help you sleep, right? The Bible says in James that you have not because you ask not, right? We just have to ask God for these things. See, we, we, I don't know, sometimes we think that, you know, it, it, it's something we have to figure out on our own. God wants you to have rest, right? He is, we established that rest is a good thing. It's something that God established. So it's something that he wants you to enjoy and it's something that you need. So if you're struggling with that, ask God, but ask in faith, right? Number two, trust him. Remember I said the underlying thing in here is a lack of trust in God, right? So we have to develop a greater trust and a greater faith in him to be able to rest and be able to sleep. And how do we do that? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing 
the Word of God. And so you have to get in the Scripture, find some Scriptures that deal with resting in God and the peace or whatever the situation is that may have you stressed or, or may have you, you know, not resting, right? And, and, and meditate on that Word as much as possible. And, and even at night, you know, play some Scriptures as you go to sleep. Don't listen to music. Don't listen to some white noise machine or whatever you use to go to sleep. Listen to Scripture. Let that minister to your spirit even as you go to sleep. So number one, ask God for it for rest and sleep. Number two, trust him. And number three, be content. This is powerful, right? I said contentment is particularly when we look at the when you're worrying a lot is, is, is a big struggle for a lot a lot of people. And you know, in, and there's um, you know, Paul talks a lot about this finding contentment in Philippians 4, how you know whether he was had a lot or had a little, he learned how to be content, the secret of being content. And that's something that's a powerful secret that God wants us to 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 operate in. And now it's important to realize that contentment and complacency aren't the same things. You know, if you have, you know, of course we don't want to be, uh, to stay stagnant where we are. And God has given us ambition. He's given us desires for, for things to get better, a better life and everything like that. That's important. We understand that. But meanwhile, in the situation you're in, be grateful and be content in God. And that will help you get rest. And finally, ask why. Ask God why, like why, you know, what's causing this? What's causing this lack of sleep? What's causing this lack of rest? I think that, you know, we have the greatest gift of all in us. We have the Spirit of God living in us, right? And the Bible says that the Spirit of God is our helper, He's our guide, and He leads us into all truth. And I think that in many ways we under utilize the Holy Spirit, if I, if I can say it that way, right? It's that He, we have this, per, we have this being in us, we have this God in us, this God, the Spirit in us, and he is, is, can lead us into all truth, and he is our helper. We need to rely on him more. So you can simply ask the Holy Spirit, why? You know, why am I, you know, why am I restless? Why am I not sleeping? And the Holy Spirit will give you answers. He'll give you strategies. You know, if you, if you have a problem resting and you're overworked, he'll give you some practical plans of how to get that rest. Or he might tell you why you're not getting sleep at night. It might just be something with your diet. It might be whatever, you know, but a lot of times we think that it has to be some scripture or some prophecy or something like that. It could just be simple things that the Holy Spirit will lead you into a truth. I remember years ago, I woke up one morning and one of my eyes was twitching and I didn't know what I was like. Oh, my eyes twitching is weird. That's never happened before. And I felt like the Holy Spirit, and I, might, I think I asked the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit said potassium. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, I didn't Google it. I didn't know if, I was like, okay. So I just went to the store, got a banana, ate the banana, and then instantly the eye stopped twitching. You know, and so it's just these little things that the Holy Spirit, he cares about even the little things. He's always looking after us concern, and concerned with everything that concerns us. And so we have that, uh, the, that gift in us of the Holy Spirit. We need to use it and rely on him. Amen. So I hope this message was a blessing uh, to you guys. Um, and so whether, you know, you struggle with sleep or rest and, and all of us <laughs> sometime or like probably have, or if you know somebody who does, share this word with them, share some of this, um, these truths with them and believe that they um, can also um, have the faith to rest and sleep. That concludes this week's message. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, 
If you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.